Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God and it contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're with us today. We're glad you're interested in learning something about your Bible. Uh, maybe you're a first-time viewer and don't know if you're interested in this or not. Let me explain quickly what we do here. Uh, we just answer your questions. Uh, we believe that people ought to know their Bible and we want to encourage people to study the Bible. And a lot of religious TV programs just tell you what they think you ought to know about the Bible. But uh, we take a little different approach. We believe if we ask you, you'll tell us what you'd like to know. So that's what we do each week is open the phone lines, open the website. Uh, there's a phone number and a website on the screen. You can use those anytime. And just tell us what you're interested in. If you don't understand a verse, if you don't understand a certain doctrine, or if you wonder, I've heard that, is that really in the Bible? Uh, any of those kind of things, just let us know and we'll try to find an answer for you. Uh, a lot of folks have things going on in their lives with their family or finances or jobs or whatever. And they wonder, if, what would God say about that? I wonder what kind of advice the Bible might give me. We'll try to find that kind of answer also. So that's what we do. Uh, phone number, website, open anytime. Let us know what you'd like us to talk about and you direct the program. Let me introduce my partner here, Toby Leverings, back to help us answer questions. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. Glad you're here and ready to go and studied up and uh, got some good ones coming up today. But we always give one to the viewing audience. Today, let's see this one named Joshua's father. Who was Joshua's father in the Old Testament? And by the way, that's the answer to a trivia question, also, I mean, a, kind of a riddle also. So we'll, we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. Uh, looks like I drew the first one today, so let's try this one on. What does God-fearing mean? Uh, the term God-fearing is used in the New Testament a few times to refer to certain people. It says he was a God-fearing man. Uh, in fact, let's look at one of those verses, and then we'll try to explain it. Acts chapter 10 first couple of verses talks about Cornelius. At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. So in the middle of that he said he feared God. He was a God-fearing man. Alright, the, the way the Bible uses that is for people that were not Jews. Uh, they, they weren't born into the uh, nation of Israel, but they recognized that the God of the Israelites, uh, Jehovah, was the one true God. They knew enough about Him to fear Him or respect Him, is maybe another way to say it. Uh, they understood that Jehovah was God. He was worthy of worship. Uh, he was different uh, than Baal and Asherah and all the pagan gods. Uh, so they feared Jehovah. They respected Him. And some of them, like Cornelius, uh, gave alms 
to people. He did good charity work. Uh, he prayed to Jehovah God, uh, but he wasn't a member of the nation of Israel. So uh, when they wanted to become a proselyte to the Jewish religion, uh, there was a process they had to go through and, and all of that uh, in the Old Testament. Now Cornelius lived under New Testament days, so he became a Christian. He was taught the gospel and was baptized and became a follower of Christ and Jehovah God. But that's what God-fearing means, is somebody that recognizes that Jehovah God is the Creator. Uh, lots of folks in our society today could be called that. They, they don't know a whole lot about Him. They may not be tied to a certain religion, they, uh, but they, they fear God. They respect Him and maybe they do good things. They contribute to charity and help people and uh, try to live a good life and all that. Uh, but they're, they're God-fearing people, uh, but they're not tied to a religion. They haven't committed their life perhaps to Jesus Christ, but uh, we'd call them good folks or God-fearing folks. So that's the way the term's used in the uh, Bible. Uh, God-fearer respects the one true God. Okay. I have a question about addiction. <clears throat> the viewer asks, can God's grace forgive me for taking painkillers for six years if I am not able to stop before I die? Well, I appreciate your heart in asking the question. It is very hard for me to give an answer without knowing the specific details of your situation. I don't know if, you know, if this is the result of a physical injury, if you kind of uh, had to take them for a time to deal with a physical um, uh, illness or, or some sort of injury, and then over time became addicted to them. That does happen. Or maybe you just <clears throat> took one one time and got such a, a good physical feeling that you kept taking them and became addicted. I don't know your situation, so I'm going to give you some very general ideas. Uh, first of all, generally speaking, God's grace is uh, sufficient to forgive any sin. I really don't believe there's any sin that God uh, will not forgive, except for just the willful uh, disobedience and unwillingness to accept His grace. Uh, that's what grace and, and forgiveness and mercy is all about. So certainly this can be forgiven. <clears throat> um, but at the same time, God certainly also would not want you to continue in something that uh, hurts you, that, that destroys the temple. Uh, if you're a Christian you, and the te your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and He doesn't want you or any of us to do anything that intentionally hurts or destroys that body. It's a gift from God. And we should take uh, good care of our bodies and not abuse them or destroy them and hurt them. And we, I'm sure you understand that these painkillers, uh, while they might feel good, are certainly not doing you any good physically. And as you allude to, might, might kill you if you don't uh, stop. So God is a loving Father. He doesn't want you to continue in this. Uh, not because he's angry at you. He just doesn't want you to hurt yourself. You're his child. So uh, think about it that way. My advice to you is going to be to find some community, find some support uh, of people. You're not the only one who's gone through physical addiction, uh, pain pills or other th substances. And there are lots of good Christian-based programs. Uh, one such program is Celebrate Recovery uh, that helps folks who are in just such a hurting situation. And they feel like they can get out. And you can get help. 
and you can find people who've been through uh, where you are and can give you encouragement, who can pray with you, who can uh, hold you accountable when need be. And I believe that will be the most beneficial thing. Of course, a Christian counselor might be able to get you into a treatment program if it's very, um, uh, it's a very serious addiction and you may need other steps. But get some, uh, get the Christian community around you, get a church that's loving and helpful, find a good support program like a CR or something similar. Let's look at a verse on the screen, Romans chapter 6. This is what Paul writes. What shall we say then? Are, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Let not sin <clears throat> therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Uh, as we continue, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Christ wants to set you free, not just from your sin, but from your suffering and your addiction too. So give yourself to Him and find a good support uh, from the Christian community. All right, thank you. Uh, I got a question about a specific verse. A viewer says, why does Acts 16.31 say that the jailer's whole house will be saved if he believes. Okay, now if I understand the viewer right, uh, he's reading along and he read verse 31 of Acts 16 and it does say that. And he said, now how, how's that work? If the jailer believes on Christ, uh, how does that save the whole household? Well, this is a situation where we talk about context all the time and reading a few verses around what verse you're looking at. Uh, and this is a case where our viewer quit reading one verse too soon. <laughs> if he had just read one more verse, he had had his own answer. So uh, let me show you the next verse along with the first one. Acts 16.31 says, They replied uh, to the jailer's question about how do I be saved. He said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. And then verse 32 says, Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. All right, so the jailer and the apostles were in the jail, just collapsed around them, and the jailer says, what do I do to be saved? And they said, well, you've got to believe in Jesus, and it will work for you and your whole household. Then they went to his house, the next verse tells us. Uh, he cleaned their wounds up and medicated them and all that, and then they taught him the word of the Lord, he and his whole house, and he and his family members responded by being baptized. They obeyed the gospel. They did what they told them to do. So that's the whole story. Just read another verse there and know one person accepting Christ, believing in Jesus, however you want to say it, doesn't count for the whole household. Uh, but they taught the whole household. Everybody, all the other family members heard about Jesus and were taught the gospel and they responded by being baptized. So keep reading, always read another verse or two or go back a little ways. You can solve a lot of those kind of questions when you see a verse that, that just doesn't sound quite right. Read around it a little bit and you'll probably answer your own question a lot of the time. All right, speaking of ways to study the Bible, uh, we try to give you little tips like that on the program, but uh, the best thing for you to do is sit down with your own Bible 
and study through it and you'll learn some of those kind of things. Uh, we've got some free materials that we think, we think is a big help to people uh, getting to know their Bible. And we're happy to send those to you absolutely free of charge. Uh, no cost to you, whatever. All it takes is a little investment of your time and uh, you can learn a whole lot about the Bible. We've got one set on the screen right now. There are eight lessons in that uh, lesson series. And uh, it's a good under introduction to the Bible. Starts with the uh, bare basic lessons about the Old Testament and the New Testament. Then goes on to some other topics. And when you're done, you'll understand a lot more about your Bible. Uh, you'll uh, probably have learned to read a little context, read a whole section, uh, and see what it means. So, great way to study the Bible, great way to get familiar with your Bible. And Usually it helps you form a regular habit of Bible study. Once you get used to reading it and uh, sitting down spending a few moments or every day or week or however you choose to study, uh, you'll find it's a help in your life and you'll continue forever. So uh, we advocate that and like we say, provide it absolutely free of charge. Uh, we think you'll like it and we know you'll learn a little bit more about your Bible if you study it. So give us a call or log on to the website. We'll get it started for you. All right, Toby, what's your viewer interested they in? They want to know about liturgical dance. What does the Bible say about liturgical dance? And my answer is not much. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't actually ever use the phrase liturgical dance, and I know what they mean by this. Liturg liturgical dance, if you don't know, is dance that is incorporated into the liturgies or worship services. It is an expression of prayer or worship through body movement. And basically what they get this is some uh, rare occasions in the Old Testament where Miriam, as an example, when they crossed the Red Sea, she danced before the Lord. David, a little more well-known, danced before the Lord uh, as, they, as they brought the ark in and so forth. And uh, so some people looked at that and said, well, I, I like dance. I love to watch it. I love to do it. So I'm going to bring that into the worship service. And it's just not mentioned as a part of uh, anything that early Christians did under the New Testament worship style. Um, Jesus said that a time is coming, as John 4, 24, that a time is coming when his worshipers would worship him in spirit and in truth. Now this gives us a couple of big ideas about what the collective worship, the assembly of the, of the saints, when we worship together, uh, what is that supposed to be? Who's that supposed to be for? And the dangerous part of, of um, this or even any other practice is making it about what makes us feel good, about what we want, about what pleases us. That is, that is the exact opposite of what worship is about. Worship is directed to God and it, it, it's done to please Him. Uh, not ourselves, not what we want, not what we're skilled at. So when we look at the New Testament, when we look at examples of when Christians worship together in the early church in Acts chapter 2, we see that they basically, uh, whenever they came together, they collectively did things that they all could do that they all had the ability. As an example, one thing they came to do was sing. Well, I, they could all do that. That was something every person from a very young child to a very old person, 
and they knew the, the hymns and, the, and they had the songs that they sang to encourage one another and, and lift their voices to God, but they all could take part in that. They could pray together. They could study the apostles' doctrine. They could give together. They could um, hear uh, the or uh, remember what the sacrifice that Jesus made uh, by partaking of the Lord's Supper, communing together. It was all about doing the things that God wanted them to do that they could do together in spirit and in truth. Now, uh, we look at those things and, and we just look through the New Testament very plainly and we see that those are basically the five things they did. Uh, they came together, they sang, they prayed, they took the Lord's Supper, they gave, uh, and they uh, taught or they, they heard taught uh, the word of the Lord. And so when you come together to worship, you do all those things and you direct them toward Him and you make it about Him. And uh, the problem that I see in these things, adding all these different things, it, it becomes about us. That's dangerous. So uh, God, Jesus wanted us to take worship seriously. We ought to take worship seriously. And now, if you are individually, you're worshiping privately, the things you do there, I think Scripture is much less, says much less about. And I think we can have some freedom there. But when we're talking about the collective worship, it, it's limited to things that edify and build us up together and not just focus on the talents and abilities of one person. It's not in the New Testament, and so it's not an expression of worship that we use today. So I hope that's helpful to you. That's what the Bible doesn't say about liturgical dance. Okay, very good. I've got a similar question. I didn't notice it until just now, but somebody wonders about some other part of uh, some religions using worship, candles. Uh, this viewer says, what significance do candles have and where are they referred to in the Bible? Well, uh, the answer to the part about where they referred to in the Bible is absolutely nowhere that I know of. Uh, we talk about a candlestick sometimes as our English translation of it, but it was really a lampstand. Uh, I don't, should have looked up when candles were invented. I don't know who devised the idea of putting wax around a, a wick, but in Bible days basically it was an oil lamp. Uh, was what they used for light, was a little bowl of some sort with some oil that would burn in it and a, and a wick in that. Uh, so candles really aren't specified in the Bible or mentioned anyway. And the lampstand was part of Jewish worship. It was in the uh, tabernacle and then in the temple, a, a lampstand uh, that had some lights and Probably one of its main purposes was to light mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the place. Uh, now, as far as candles being used in worship, the only thing the Bible even gets close to is it does sometimes talk about burning incense and that resembling or symbolizing prayer. Uh, actually, it's the other way around. It's like prayer resembles incense. In the Old Testament, they burned incense uh, which supposedly in their physical way of thinking that God established there uh, sent a sweet aroma up to Him. And in the New Testament it talks about when we pray, that's a sweet aroma. When we worship, that's a sweet aroma that goes up to God. So prayers are tied in that symbolic way to incense. Now, over the centuries, candles kind of got tied to prayer somehow, and I can't explain when or how it happened. Uh, like I said, I don't even know when candles were invented. I'll go home and figure that out. <laughs> but uh, gradually, I'm sure, 
uh, somebody, of course in the early days, uh, there were candles in the worship service just to light the room. Uh, especially when they were like worshiping in the caves and the catacombs and all that, they had to have candles to, to light the place to see what was going on. Now, who was the first one that said, you know, I'm going to light this candle and pray at the same time and somehow that's going to go to God better? I don't know when that happened or how. It obviously happened very gradually, but today there are some religions that candles are very significant to them. It symbolizes prayer and you, you go and you light a candle for somebody as a, uh, as a prayer for that person. Uh, that's not in the Bible. Uh, just, just not in there and doesn't say anything about being part of worship. Uh, has no significance in New Testament worship as far as the Bible says. So that's the answer to your question. Now, uh, let me take just a moment of our time and uh, invite you to visit the Church of Christ. Uh, we do that each week because the Churches of Christ provide this program for you and uh, help us stay on the air. Uh, that's one reason we never ask for money is because we're funded by uh, individual Churches of Christ across our viewing area that uh, believe this is a good program and a good way to help people know their Bible. Uh, so they help us stay on there. And we like to mention some each week. Today we're going to mention the home church of Know Your Bible. Uh, we don't talk about ourselves too often, but we do mention it every once in a while that this program is produced and, and mainly supported by the Northside Church of Christ in Wichita, Kansas. And we invite you to come see us sometime. If you uh, live in this area or if you're passing through sometime, uh, stop at uh, 4545 North Meridian up on North Meridian just north of K96. Uh, drop off there and uh, visit us at 10 o'clock worship service, uh, 9 o'clock classes. We'd be happy to have you. And uh, a lot of folks do drop in. Uh, people that watch us from some other area. Just a few weeks ago we had a couple from Garden City that were passing through. A long time Know Your Bible viewers, both of them baptized out there because of what they learned on this program. Uh, and they just wanted to visit the home church of Know Your Bible, and we were thrilled to meet them and uh, get to know them. Uh, so, if you're passing through Wichita or if you live here, drop in sometime and say hi to us. We'd be happy to have you. Uh, anywhere you live in the viewing area, uh, there's probably a Church of Christ near you, and we'd invite you to uh, give them a thank you for keeping us on the air. Certainly, if you're looking for a church home, uh, Check out a Church of Christ somewhere. You'd find folks that study the Bible and think about it a lot like we do on this program, uh, and they'd welcome you warmly. So visit the Church of Christ sometime. All right, a little history question here, Tobe. Yes, a viewer, a viewer <laughs> wants to know about the marital status of Jesus. Was Jesus married is the question. And the answer very simply is no, not according to Scripture. There's a lot of nonfiction out there. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, excuse me. There's a lot of fiction out there uh, that is non-biblical is what I meant to say. Uh, that is absolutely total fiction, not biblical, not true. Uh, people invent stories uh, out of nothing. It is true that Jesus had uh, female followers and, and many of the women were a part of his ministry and part of the, even the very important uh, death and resurrection up to the very end. Uh, there were women and I think that was because Jesus took care of them, noticed them, ministered to them when most of that society uh, relegated women as second-class citizens. But no, Jesus was single his entire life, all, the, all of his years uh, on earth uh, until he died on the cross. So 
No, I can't be any more affirming than that. The Bible uh, mentions Jesus' mother and his adoptive father and his half-brothers and sisters and, and uh, all of that, say brothers and sisters, his family. Uh, I just mentioned that to say if it did, why, you know, I, I think an important fact would be if he was married that it would mention it, and it, it just doesn't, and we clearly know that Jesus wasn't married. So um, in the New Testament, uh, the, the church is interestingly enough referred to as the bride of Christ, and I think that's a beautiful picture. When you become a Christian, uh, you enter into a covenant with Christ, and he is the bridegroom, and you are a part of his bride and the church. So very important. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 5 verses 25 and following together. Uh, <clears throat> Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So Jesus wasn't married, but when you're in the church, you are a part of the uh, symbolic bride of Christ. All right, a good answer to that one. And let's just keep that theme going. Uh, another viewer asked this, I heard nobody will be married in heaven. Is that true? Well, Toby's established that Jesus wasn't married. And this viewer says, when we get to heaven, nobody's going to be married. Is that true? Well, it sounds like it. Jesus did talk about that. Uh, he was asked a question about marriage, a kind of a trick question, trying to get him to confused about divorce and all of that. But don't need to know that. His answer to that question uh, is in Luke chapter 20, verse 34 and 35, and let's read that together. Jesus replied, The people of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of taking part in that age and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. And they can no longer die, for they are like the angels. Okay, so the Pharisees had asked him a question about somebody that had a number of different husbands and they said, who's she going to be married to in heaven? And Jesus said, no, you don't understand. Uh, not going to be any marriage in heaven. Uh, when you go to heaven, uh, we don't have marriage there. We don't get married. Uh, nobody's married is what it sounds like. Now, some people worry a lot about that and wonder how's that going to work and why won't I still have my loving mate that I've lived with for 70 years or something like that. Uh, the purpose of marriage <clears throat> on in this age, on this earth, uh, was twofold. Number one, to complete each other. Uh, God made us that way, that man and woman needed each other to become one and make one strong family unit. Uh, the other purpose was procreation. Well, we're obviously not going to need procreation in heaven. And uh, evidently we won't need that companionship, that completing thing that we need here on earth. Uh, so Jesus said there won't be any marriage in heaven. Now, if you've got a wife of 50 years or so, that may make you distraught in some way. God's going to work that out. Uh, you're going to be just fine. You're going to be complete in Him. And you two, I assume, still be friends and <laughs> know everything about each other and have a special relationship in some way. Uh, but Jesus is just saying marriage isn't that big a deal in heaven. It's, it's not going to be, we're going to be like the angels and the angels don't marry. So uh, 
Yep. For viewers right, no marriage in heaven. <laughs> All right, let's make sure we get our trivia question answered today. Uh, and our question was named Joshua's father. And I told you that was an answer to a riddle. Uh, the, his name was Nun, N-U-N. Uh, so some people ask that riddle, who in the Bible didn't have a father because Joshua <laughs> was the son of Nun. Uh, but you can read that in uh, that scripture there we gave you, Numbers 13, 16, and he did have some. We're glad you've been with us today. We invite you to be back next week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.